Welcome to Toho Yaro, a monthly Japanese movie podcast. I'm Alex Kazanis, as uh, as usual, I guess. And uh, we have Joey Weiser. Hey. And our other co-host, Scott Dreman. Hi. Good to talk to everybody. I agree. It's great to talk to everybody. And uh, we're here with our second movie, uh, Sonatine. we pronounced it Sonatine, and uh, I've never had to say the title out loud until we did the podcast. Yeah, same. So, so uh, I guess we can talk about that for like half a second. Um, Sonatine is actually based on the word Sonatina, which is a uh, which is a musical term. Uh, it was actually a Kitano's decision, Takeshi Kitano, to call the movie Sonatine because when uh, when you're learning piano. When one gets to a sonatina, they have to either decide where they want to go, uh, whether it's classical, jazz, or popular music. Basically, it's a decision that you have to make in regards to uh, music. It caught my eye when I was first um, looking up the movie and uh, looking up some information about it and saw the katakana and saw that it was pronounced differently uh, in Japanese. And then uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit and, and found the roots of the word sonatina and stuff. So... Uh, I'm glad that we <laughs> got that straightened out. Yeah, it helps to do a deep dive on a movie, even if you've like uh, seen it before. Right. Uh, I mean, it's not even. I mean, it's not said it within the movie, so it's not. No, yeah. it's not. It, it's it's not like a movie where it it's like, hmm, this sure was a sonatine. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie Sonatine was directed. Uh, 1993 came out. Uh, it was directed by uh, Takeshi Kitano, uh, known primarily as Beat Takeshi. Uh, Takeshi was hugely popular in the 70s and 80s as a television comedian. He's humongously popular in Japan. I'm sure that there's uh, you'll be hard-pressed to find somebody who doesn't know who he is. Uh, he got his nickname from his manzai act. Um, for those of you who don't know what manzai is, it's basically a uh, comedic act that's sort of like vaudeville that's got like a straight man and, some, and a comedic uh, man as well. So mm-hmm. you've got somebody to play off of. Sort of like Abbott and Costello, I guess. That's the best American uh example that i can use yeah and uh he did this act with uh kiyoshi kaneko as the duo two beat hence the name beat takeshi uh so us in us in the uh english-speaking world will mostly recognize him from a game show that he hosted in the 80s called uh, takeshi's castle uh-huh. which um which i've been told uh aired unaltered really um in other countries um but Takeshi's Castle was repurposed into a show on uh, TNN and then later Spike uh, called Most Extreme Elimination Challenge, uh, where, where, where they basically took the show and they sort of uh, overdubbed all the actors and um, contestants and just kind of made it funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, T- if, Takeshi's if... character was named uh, Vic Romano, mm-hmm. I, th- I think. And the other guy was Kenny Blankenship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, if you don't mind a little quick anecdote, um, when I was uh, on the plane flight to Japan for my high school exchange, um, on the back seats, uh, on the backs of every seat, there was a little individual television screen that you could control what station it was on, and sometimes there were games and stuff. And the stations would sort of cycle through 
uh, like, I don't know, a set of like three or four shows or like two movies over and over again. So by the end of the trip, like everybody had seen basically everything on all the stations. And uh, on one of the stations was an episode of Takeshi's Castle. And none of us had heard of it before, but our teacher was just kind of like, oh, that's a famous actor who also hosts uh, silly game shows. And I loved it because it was, you know, a uh, hilarious slapstick. And it, you know, <laughs> filled that stereotype of uh, wacky, uh, wacky Japanese game shows. Uh, but then, uh, you know, didn't think too much of, of it. But then years later, when Most Extreme Elimination Challenge was on TV, I was like, oh, my God, I've seen this show. And at this point, I'd since then learned all about who Beat Takeshi was and stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, that's Beat Takeshi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's super funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, other Japanese cinephiles might also know him uh, as the sociopathic uh, teacher Kitano in uh, the movie Battle Royale. Mm-hmm. And uh, Beat Takeshi is uh, really ing- easily uh, distinguishable from his walk. He's got this weird like limp that he does um, yeah. that I'm not sure is on purpose or not. Uh Probably not. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of a shuffle. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a shuffle. It's definitely a shuffle. I mean, he was doing it. So he uh, shortly after filming uh, Sonatina, he was in a motor scooter accident that was pretty bad and left his face partially paralyzed and some other physical issues. But he had that walk prior to the accident. So I think that might just be an affectation of his. Yeah. At the very least, it makes him very distinguishable. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Aside from being a prolific comedian, he's also a very prolific director, uh, which didn't ha- happen until around the 90s. Um, he was cast in a movie called Violent Cop, but because of his extensive TV schedule, uh, the director basically said, well, I quit, uh, and you you can direct it if you want. <laughs> so uh, he did. <laughs> he finished the movie, and uh, then he directed a whole bunch of other movies. Uh, from that point on, including uh, the Yakuza films Boiling Point, uh, Hanabi, and uh, other stuff like um, lighthearted movies like Seen at the Sea and Kikujiro, which we will definitely cover in a later episode of this show, and uh, the sex comedy Getting Any. So he's had a lot of different projects under his belt, aside from Yakuza movies. Um, Sonatine, uh, aside from being directed and written and edited by Kitano, he also stars in it. And uh, other notable actors besides Beat Takeshi include uh, Tetsu Watanabe as Oechi, the mustachioed member of the Nakamatsu clan. Um, Watanabe is uh, infamous for collaborating with Kitano and several other film projects uh, since Sonatine, including Hanabi and uh, Takeshi's. And he also voiced the grumpy cat Muta in uh, Studio Ghibli's The Cat Returns. Uh, mm. That's the Peter Boyle character, if you've only seen the dub. Um, Susumu Terajima as Ken, Murakawa's lieutenant, who uh, has made a name for himself by appearing in every single Japanese film ever. <laughs> yeah, I love this guy's face. Yeah, uh, he's really easily distinguishable, and I've seen him in a ton of other movies. Um a good chunk of which we'll be covering on the podcast, including Ichi the Killer, Shark Skin Man and Peach Hip Girl, Dead or Alive, The Taste of Tea. Uh, his resume is extensive. And um, he is also infamous for collaborating with Kitano. Um, another actor is Ren Otsugi as Katagiri, the uh, lousy shirt guy. Um, 
uh, aka Captain Buzzkill, who has, uh, again, extensive credits, but is most notable for his penchant for working alongside Kitano and Terajima. And, um, yeah, those, those are... Then, you know, there's a cast of many others as well, but those were the ones that I decided to note since I've seen them in a lot of other stuff. Okay. Um, so... A brief synopsis of the film, basically, uh, Kitano's character, Murukawa, is a gangster, and he's tired of his yakuza life. His boss sends him and a few of his men to Okinawa to settle a dispute between rival gangs, and when they discover that the dispute isn't significant, he and his men are ambushed in a bar. They decide to take refuge at the beach, and um, the rest of the movie is basically yakuza beach party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, what did you guys... Uh, What'd you guys think of the movie? Yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, there's definitely a big uh, shifting point at that once they get to Okinawa, um, it, in the overall feel of the movie. Um, um, you know, uh, at that point, like uh, Takeshi's character starts smiling more, and there's sort of this sort of, uh, um, I don't know funnier scenes and things there's that that sumo scene in particular i think really kind of tips it to where you're like okay this is not just what i thought it was going to be coming into it yeah um that scene in particular is uh kind of amazing uh like there's a massive tonal shift there especially because they do some crazy stuff with the camera uh not really the camera they just speed up the film at one point Mm -hmm. which uh is really wacky um of course not the entire movie is not that the entire movie is yakuza beach party but uh a good chunk of the movie is is them laying low and passing time i find it just really interesting the divide from the beginning of the movie to to the more humorous scenes that our our first big introduction to the kind of person that that kitano's character is is the scene where he's uh dunking the the guy that runs the gambling parlor oh man (laughs) and he's like that that first shot where he rolls up and he says uh we bet we're bad ain't we and then just how he kind of gets distracted talking to his lieutenants while they're torturing this man and then the shift from this like sociopathic cold-hearted character to you know jolly beach fun times and and how you you by that point you kind of forget how messed up these people are and the terrible things they're doing and you're like oh we're we're just having fun and we like these characters now yeah but there is that sort of element of there being some menace and nihilism behind even the fun parts yeah uh, you know there's that russian roulette scene yeah uh, it was um, really intense <laughs> yeah that is a super intense scene and that like happens as soon as they get to the beach um, there is a scene in the movie uh, where, uh, as soon as they get to the beach, uh, Ken and um, Ryoji, who's a member of the Nakamatsu clan, who I refer to as Ice Cream Guy, uh, <laughs> compared to everybody else, he seems like he's just a kid. Yeah. Um, and he's trying his hardest to impress Ken by like smoking marijuana and asking him, oh, have you heard of my friend? He's in a gang. Like I thought that was a particularly funny scene. Mm-hmm. Um, uh but right off the bat, they're shooting cans off each other's heads, and uh, Murukawa comes up and says, "Here, let me have the gun. We'll play something even more fun." And they just—he just makes them play Russian roulette, and 
he's like not at all afraid to you know shoot himself in the head with what ends up being the last bullet in the chamber but uh there is no bullet in the chamber by the end of it mm-hmm. which uh goes to show you how fearless murakawa is and later on in the movie you find out you know why he's so fearless and why he is the way that he is um i guess right now i we can kind of get into spoiler territory um if you could call it that sure uh (laughs) when it comes to the synopsis of the movie so uh they're at the beach um laying low murakawa ends up stopping a girl from getting raped uh by somebody who is presumably um i don't know i don't know who he is presumably but some dude at night bad guy yeah bad guy and uh he ends up getting killed and she kind of takes to murakawa and visits uh visits him and his yakuza buddies on the beach and hangs out with them uh meanwhile it turns out that uh murakawa's boss sent him to okinawa on a suicide mission and wants to take over his turf so uh over the course of the rest of the movie this sort of comes to light and by the end of it murakawa ends up completely wasting everybody with seemingly no effort mm-hmm. um which is something that i noted like nobody really makes an effort to get out of the way when they're gunfighting it's <laughs> they're just kind of standing there and looking uh stonewalled or stone-faced rather yeah and takeshi's character looks bored like <laughs> he has this sort of like I don't know. Yeah, that's very, like, I keep coming back to, like, nihilistic or nonchalant as the sort of description of his character, because he just, like, looks bored of it all. Yeah. As he's, like, shooting people point blank. (laughs) If we can drill down on his acting style, generally he's got two kind of different modes. He's either, either looks like he really just wants to take a nap, (laughs) or he's, like, grinning real big, and those are kind of two different modes. Uh, A lot of uh, film critics have talked about how uh, even after that accident that he had uh, that which left him with partial facial paralysis that uh, you couldn't really tell because he just sits there stone-faced all the time anyway yeah but it's amazing how effective that that like not not that he has limited range as an actor but that choice to have such limited range as characters can really do a whole lot mm-hmm yeah, I really do admire his acting style um, because it is intense in a way. It it's sort of kind of crazy when you're when you're watching this film, and you see how lackadaisical he is about the entire thing. But then, of course, you remember he's been in this business for a very long time, and he's just like, you know what? I don't care anymore. I I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So, so I might as well, you know, I might as well have fun at the beach. Uh, going back to the to the action choreography for a minute, it I'm. It's been a while since I had seen this, and I had forgotten how kind of like subdued everybody is during those shootouts. And it's, I think maybe a little bit of it is unfamiliarity with how to shoot an action scene like that. Yeah. But there's definitely a, a choice being made to for everybody to just kind of stand there doing their thing until the shootout is over. Yeah. So it's. Yeah. It it's hard to there's an element of kind of like I guess black comedy to how those scenes unfold. I could see that, yeah. I 
I actually do have a particular problem with the fact that, like, I have no problem with uh, Murakawa, you know, looking bored while he's in a shootout, but everybody else just standing there and getting shot. Uh, I don't know. It's... Uh. So I, I couldn't help but compare this to the 70s gangster movies, the Yakuza movies that I've seen that yeah. I'm sort of more familiar with. And so in particular, the Battles Without Honor and Humanity series is kind of like specifically known for taking what was a, a more glorified Yakuza genre and making it more realistic and gritty. But then when you compare it to Sonatine, uh, Sonatine, <laughs> <laughs> um, Battles is like much more glorified and very dynamic. It uh, is. You know, Sonatine makes being a gangster look very hollow and empty and boring and and yeah, empty compared to this sort of like cool romantic looking dudes in a smoking and in cool jackets and horns blaring in the background and stuff. Uh, even when you compare like uh, Takeshi Kitano with Bunta Sugawara, like even in quiet moments, Sugawara has this sort of palpable intensity, like he's going to explode at any moment. Uh, whereas Kitano is a little more sort of mysterious and quiet, and you're not sure like exactly what he's thinking. Yeah, he can really sell that. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess that is a it's a fun it's a fun contrast when you compare uh, this movie to something like Battles of the Honor and Humanity. Yeah. So uh, I guess we can talk about the end of the movie at this point, um, and we can explore Murakawa's intentions a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so he talks to. Um, he talks to the girl that he saves. I don't remember her name. This is <laughs> this is me being prepared. She remarks on the fact that he's stone-faced during this entire thing. And you're like, oh, you don't seem afraid to die. And he's like, oh, well, I'm, you know, the reason I shoot first is because I get scared first. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought that was very interesting. That's not something, I don't know, it's, 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 uh, it's not something that you would expect to hear. Yeah. From, uh, from a tough guy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And uh, I guess at the end, uh, when he does indeed kill himself, uh, at that point, what do you think is going through his head? Like, that? well, that's... I'm just done. Like, <laughs> uh, Yeah, it's, it's hard to say exactly. Um, you know, it's kind of like... There is that sort of, like, emptiness in every, if everything, and he's kind of just like you said, mowed down a bunch of guys and had this huge sort of shakeup and there's potentially going to be more people coming after him again. And he's just kind of feeling done with it all. You know, I don't know. Uh, my experience when I first saw this uh, film was what, once that happened, like pardon the pun, it blew my mind <laughs> because he, he comes out, you expect him to go out in a blaze of glory fighting or shooting up all the the bosses that have betrayed him and instead he manages to get out of there seemingly in one piece only to do only to end his own life and i was real confused but uh reflecting on it i feel like he had been so focused on doing his job and once like his short-term goals were done he realized that he like this is not what he wanted to do, and he had he had to plan for the future, and just decided that whatever was ahead was just not worth it, and because it was just going to be more 
fear and pain and bloodshed. Yeah. I wanted to uh, talk about a couple different possible autobiographical elements. And in this, I'm going to sort of cir circle back around to the end. Uh, first, I just wanted to bring up that um, B. Takesh was sort of uh, a leader of, of a gang of sorts. Uh, he had, through uh, rising up and becoming this uh, big star, he'd gathered a group of disciples that were called Takeshi's army, and they followed him like a comedy guru, but uh, and were often like the victims of his game shows and stuff. But these were like a tough group of guys. And uh, I read about an instance where uh, there was a, a tabloid that printed photos of a young woman that they were reporting that uh, Kitano was having an affair with. And Kitano and members of his army actually stormed the paper's office and attacked the reporters. Oh, wow. So, like, in a way, he was sort of a gang leader, you know? And so he has this sort of experience that he brings to it. And then also, as we've mentioned a couple times, there was that uh, motor scooter accident a year after Sonatine. And uh, he later admitted that this was, quote, a kind of unconscious suicide attempt. So, you know it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly why someone thinks uh, about suicide. Sometimes there's no explanation besides like body chemistry and stuff. But um, those thoughts were probably already plaguing him to some extent when he was writing and, and, and making the film. That makes sense. Yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing more cathartic than writing down what you're feeling and I guess making a film in regards mm -hmm. to uh, your inner thoughts and feelings as well. Uh, probably be even more cathartic yeah the whole thing is kind of a, a meditation on anxiety given the kind of contrast between the violent yakuza scenes and then going to like the beach house scenes and you kind of forget because those scenes are so lighthearted and funny but really the whole thing is this highlighting the kind of ennui of uh, people who live violent lives and knowing that they're just kind of sitting there passing the time until the next horrifying event happens. Uh -huh. And, and while uh, most people don't, don't deal with that level of like violence and terror in their day-to-day -day lives, it, it kind of acts like a metaphor of, of people who do have anxiety and, and the fear of like the next bad thing that's going to happen. That, that's a, uh, that's very succinctly put. The first time I saw this movie was um, about a decade ago. I was heavily into Takeshi's work. Uh, my friend Greg Werner, uh, who some listeners may know from the One Piece podcast, uh, recommended to me uh, Kikujiro and uh, I think a couple other B. Takeshi films. So I kind of did a deep dive into his catalog. And um, I ended up getting my hands on a good chunk of, of his uh, main Yakuza movie is like Boiling Point and Violent Cop, uh, Hanabi, uh, one other, I thought I had Sonatine, but, or Sonatine, <laughs> but I guess I didn't. And uh, this movie sort of got washed uh, along with the rest of them in my brain. So it was really nice to watch this as a refresher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's still parts of this that I think I conflate with parts of Violent Cop because it had been a while since I'd watched either of them. Yeah, they're not especially dynamic movies, but they're very intense in their own way, uh, which is sort of uh, Takeshi's mo. Yeah, I had uh, I had never seen it before. This was my first time seeing it. Um, I definitely heard of it, 
um, in high school, I think, or possibly early college, uh, I had gotten this book called The Encyclopedia of Japanese Pop Culture, written by Mark Schilling. Uh, it was first published in 1997. Uh, and I love this book. Uh, I usually can't do this with, um, you know, reference books, but I actually read it cover to cover uh, eventually. And it's the first place where I learned about a lot of Japanese pop culture stuff that I still love today. Uh, this book has like an entry in on uh, Beat Takesh and uh, mentions him again in the Yakuza section. Um, but it has uh, also has an image of Takesh blowing his brains out uh, <laughs> on uh, from Sonatine on the cover uh, from the dream sequence. Uh, you know, uh, it's a very famous image that even when you Google image search, like that image pops up all all up on there. And uh, so over time, I'd uh, seen uh, Kikujiro and Battle Royale and, and his Zatoichi movie, uh, and and knew about Sonatine, but I'd never actually gotten around to seeing it. So I'm glad that I did because it's not, it was not what I expected. It was much more subdued and, uh, and I don't know, quirky, interesting than I was expecting. Yeah. Um, the lighthearted moments kind of remind me of the bits in Kikujiro actually. Uh, mm, yeah. They're, they're not like, you know, Oh, we're having so much fun. It's, it's sort of like, uh, the concept of, of passing fun, I guess. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, just, like this is a menial thing that we're doing and it's kind of dumb, but we're having fun with it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh. I was going to say, I wanted to talk about the cinematography for a little bit. Can we? Which, that would be great, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I don't know much about the, the cinemat cinematographer for the film. Uh, he's, he's worked with... Uh, Beat Takeshi on a lot of his other movies, but I'm not sure what else he's done. But uh, so many of the the shots in this movie are just beautifully framed, which I think the the way the film is broken up into kind of short vignettes really lends itself well to the to just being able to linger on some of these scenes. There's a few scenes with some interesting camera work with either tracking or painting shots. The tracking shot through the beginning of the movie where they're going through shops walking watching uh the gangsters just walk down the street and then later there's a painting shot that kind of reminded me of that when they're dragging a body through the beach at sunset and it's just backlit with the with the orange of the sunset and it's just shadows moving in front and those are both gorgeous there's a lot of beautiful scenes of the beaches and stuff but uh yeah. the they're one of my favorite shots in the movie is really early on and it's not like super impressive but it's just i don't know kind of iconic to me of the gangsters kind of squatting around one of their cars just passing time waiting to to go somewhere yeah yeah tro uh, tropical okinawa is like a great location um like and that on top of the cinematography is beautiful throughout the movie even when they're in a sort of more city areas and stuff but like once they get to okinawa like it's just so gorgeous. Uh, it really like gives the movie a nice feeling uh, in those calmer moments. I love the scene where, God, the uh, the assassin dressed as the fisherman, mm -hmm. uh, after he takes out most of the Nakamatsu clan, including the boss. Like he's walking down this, uh, he's walking down that path and just surrounded by greenery, and it's just every 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 time somebody's framed, it's it's like perfect it's it's very picturesque uh there's a lot of symmetry to 
to the shots in this movie that I've noticed. And even when there isn't, like, uh, they do a good job of leading your eye to what is supposed to happen. Like, uh, during the f the first time the girl shows up to hang out with, uh, with, um, Kita, uh, um, I'm sorry. Uh, Murakawa. Uh, yeah, Murakawa and, uh, Katagiri. There's, uh, in, uh, he's watching, um, he's watching, they're watching the Frisbee, uh, the Frisbee stuff happen. Mm -hmm. She sits down, uh, there's a space for her, like, uh, there's an empty spot right next to Murakawa, and she just kind of sits there. But beforehand, you're like, oh, well, this is this is weird because these uh, shots are usually very symmetrical. And then she just shows up and she completes the picture. It's yeah. it, mm -hmm. it's a it's at that point in the movie, you've come to expect what the frame should look like. And then it it delivers. It's kind of interesting in that way. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, did you guys have uh, some favorite favorite scenes in particular? Because there's there's a lot to like in this movie, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, um, yeah, I I like you know I really love the sort of humor and lighter moments. Uh, there's one besides the sumo scene, which is kind of amazing. But the the scene, a set of scenes that jump out to me uh, are at, towards the beginning of the film when they're gathering together their gang and there's they're introducing the younger members oh, God, of the yeah. group. There's these like. <laughs> these three scrawny kids come in and one of the tougher young guys is kind of like, these guys are pathetic. You know, what, what are we going to do with these guys? And then one of the scrawny kids pulls out a knife Steps. and knifes that guy in the gut. <laughs> and like, then there's this huge fight in this like boardroom and the, the older members are just looking at these younger members scrapping and they're just kind of like, Oh God. <laughs> and, and that, so that's great. And then the next scene on the bus in Okinawa, some of the guys are like enjoying snacks and beverages and the stabber and the stabby are just like sitting next to each other on the, on the bus. And, and the stabber set has a popsicle in his hand and asks the guy that he's sitting right next to that he had just stabbed uh, in the scene before, like if he wants a drink. And the dude just looks over at him and is like, you stabbed me in the belly and it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> and then they look ahead in this sort of like quiet moment before it finally cuts to something else. And it really like gives you that that feeling that I've been talking about all, all, all along the way where it's like there's humor, but it also seems kind of like empty and nonchalant and like they're not sure what to feel exactly about the situation they're in yeah uh i love that scene in particular too because it it takes you know these these guys are you know killers and and gamblers and we're gonna put them on a bus and take them to okinawa on a field trip with with mm -hmm. with popsicles and ramune like <laughs> yeah <laughs> just seeing the one guy drinking ramune and just hearing the the click of the little glass ball in the bottle like that cracked me up just <laughs> yeah totally it's it's like it's yeah. like if you saw like like uh, a gangster in an in a in like the godfather just eating a lollipop <laughs> yeah i uh yeah that's that's probably my favorite scene in the movie too um i especially like the first shot that we get of when they're all on the bus and just kind of sitting there done with everything um but i'm i'm fascinated that the end of that scene ends with just the uh 
wide shot out of the front of the bus. And I remember the first time that I was watching the movie, I was expecting it a, a lot more to happen, I guess, because I knew it was a, 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 supposed to be a violent Yakuza film. So that entire first shot where they're just leaving the bus park in the bus and it's it's following out the front window, I had this super high level of tension expecting something terrible to happen, which <laughs> it never did. And I'm not sure if we're just if, if that was intentional or not. But uh, it was super stressful for me the first time I watched it. <laughs> That's really funny. That just goes to show you um, that uh, you know expectations can definitely uh, be altered with this type of movie. Um, another scene that I wanted to talk about that since uh, Joey picked that one, I'll I'll pick the the final shootout when he goes to confront the bosses, and I I like. So he walks up into this dark building with an automatic rifle and just kind of nonchalantly strolls in with that with that kind of semi-shuffle we were talking about earlier. And then instead of giving the super exciting action scene of him going through all these guys, most of, this, of the scene is just flashes in the, the hotel windows and it's just a really interesting choice to be so detached from what would be the the biggest action scene in a movie in, in a different kind of film. And we do get a little bit of of interior with, with people getting shot up, but it's, like I said, it's mostly so detached. And because that's not the stuff that the movie is about, and it's kind of reinforcing that like this is a thing that's happening but we're it's not what we're here for yeah, yeah uh that scene in particular kind of reminds me of like how some violence is framed in comic books uh and i kind of like that uh versus you know very visceral uh guys getting shot up because that's something that like you're you kind of come to expect but when you just see mm -hmm. you know f flashes through the windows uh during uh, during nighttime that's like i don't know i there's something artistic about it that i that i actually really like even yeah even it for seems final to scene. fit yeah it seems to sort of fit the like feel of the movie better than feel like if we had ended up getting i was afraid that we were going to end up with this sort of really gnarly intense action scene and i was like kind of balling up a little bit uh getting ready for that and it didn't that's not what we got. Instead, what we got is something that sort of matched the more kind of beautiful tone of the whole movie, uh, taken in a sort of moment of violence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess you could say that like this movie um, really puts you in a very particular mindset, and uh, and the tonal shifts are very appropriate, mm -hmm. even the lighthearted moments to the violent moments. Uh, one scene that I really like, I I in particular as well loved. Uh, all of the lighthearted, like, let's hang out on the beach and play game scenes. Um, yeah. I really liked the bit with the holes where he's just... <laughs> where <laughs> he basically makes, you know, Burmese tiger traps on the beach and gets uh, Ryoji and Ken to come down to the beach just to have them fall in the holes. Yeah, and, that's amazing. And when they do, uh, Katagiri says, um, you know, don't you think this is childish? And he's like, nah, this is fine. Like, oh, don't worry, there's no more traps. And then I'm like, oh, he's going to fall into a hole. And I was I was kind of waiting for him after he falls into the hole 
to get up and fall into another hole. Yeah. Um, but uh, I feel vindicated because later on in the movie, um, uh, the uh, the female lead falls into the hole yeah. as well. Uh, yeah, that's a great like callback uh, moment. Which is funny because that's a very like tense scene as well because she's waiting for him to return from uh, mm-hmm. from his you know mission. Yeah, that's in the middle of the the shootout scene. We see what she's doing. She's just waiting on the beach, kind of worried, and it's that juxtaposition between this like silly thing and the intense violence going on in the other end serves to kind of further subdue that scene. Yeah, it helps endear you to Kitano's character, you know. Uh, you know, in the first like whatever it is, 15 or so minutes when before they get to Okinawa, he's so like blank that yeah. I was having trouble connecting with him. But then once you see that he likes to play games and stuff, even if they're kind of messed up Russian roulette games, like it at least like gives you the idea that he's a whole person. Yeah, uh, it's it's really funny because when he's when they're uh, dipping the the orange shirted you know bookie guy mm-hmm. um, into the water, he's just he's bored about the entire thing, and he's just like, okay, well he'll die or he won't, whatever. It's it, that like that's a very good uh, scene for establishing mm-hmm. what, what kind of a person that Yakuza lifestyle has made him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like oh, killing's just boring. Like I'd rather do something like you know really exciting like play Russian roulette like it's gotten to that point where that's the one thing that will give him uh give him a thrill yeah, Every, everything I mean, else seems to just fall to the wayside I couldn't help with those traps but like imagine like they're in the reality of the movie there's an hour or something beforehand where he's digging those <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I would have loved to see that scene actually just like a like a like a mid credits thing where he's just making these holes, putting newspaper on them. Like that's a, that's a yeah. that's an undertaking. I would have I would I would have like wondered where the hell's Murakawa if I were the other guys. <laughs> Which uh, it reminded me, we do get a kind of sense that as blank as he is, that he does care about the people underneath him. Yeah, because uh, when they first send him to Okinawa, he talks about how last time he got sent somewhere, he lost three of his men and did not like that mm-hmm. and that even though he's uh playing these games and forcing his his uh troops to play russian roulette he's not really he's doing it uh he's not doing that for the thrill of of russian roulette he because he takes all the bullets out of the gun he's actually just doing it to play around with his men yeah yeah and doesn't actually intend on having anybody hurt or killed they yeah. do uh they do have a, a really cool family dynamic actually and even the two uh, the two characters uh, Ryoji and and Ken, who Ken just doesn't fucking like this guy at all. Uh, from I love that character arc. Yeah, right. Like they, I think they have they have what is to me like the most satisfying character arc, um, because they start off. Uh, they're they're both colorful characters, and they start off uh, with like not really being too involved with each other, and by the end of it, they're having fun, and uh, I kind of love that. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is the uh the geisha scene towards the beginning of the movie um just because it's it's framed very well and it's the most colorful shot of the movie i think oh yeah it's the... a yeah it's it's a very it's a very beautiful scene in terms of just color and composition uh and i'm uh i'm i guess i'm a little disappointed that that the movie doesn't have more scenes that are like that but 
there are other you know scenes that are shot just as well but mm-hmm. uh, not as colorful yeah uh, when i saw that i actually thought of joey because i i know you're a big fan of all the like festival scenes and yeah. a lot of the the Trek Yarrow and other movies so I was like oh hey here we get this like it's it's not as extravagant as, as an entire festival or parade but we still get a scene of like colorful choreographed dancing, <laughs> dancing. people yeah no I got to check that off my list I was like okay yeah I'm on board <laughs> that's funny that's super good uh, I also like the character of Katagiri um, aka the buzzkill just because of his uh just his general reaction to anything that Murakawa is doing. <laughs> He's sort of like a, like a Squidward in a way. <laughs> if, if we're going to use a SpongeBob comparison, I love the, I love the, so you like lousy shirts huh? and then he ends up changing the shirt and then they make fun of him <laughs> for changing the shirt. Super yeah. Good. He, he actually, it, it actually reminded me or seemed like maybe a callback to the Munsai comedy. Yeah. Um, Origins where he he like Kitano's goofy through those beach scenes and he needed a straight man for them. Yeah, there's an interesting thing uh, reading uh, reading back through that book that I had mentioned where uh, actually when he was part of Two Beats uh, he was the straight man, but everyone kind of could tell that he was the funny one, and so there was like a sort of weirdness about their group that was different than everybody else. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Uh, I guess it's worth it. it's probably worth it to go and dig up some of the old uh, two beat stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder how much of that is. There's probably something on YouTube or something. More than likely, but it's. Which I don't uh, know where that would be available. Yeah, a lot of that stuff. Um, I don't think is syndicated. So. Uh, yeah. Did you have any thoughts about the music? Uh, that scene in particular with the assassin, uh, walking. Uh, through the orchard or whatever that is, and then onto the beach has some really like very interesting, cool music. Um, yeah, there are other there are other parts of the score that sound a little like cheesy to me, kind of like this <laughs> sort of synths with piano that sounds like a like '90s police TV show or something like that. But like, uh, it sounds super '80s to me or '80s. You know, it kind of blurs. <laughs> Like, like I, I, uh, it's kind of ridiculous. I, I'm not a huge fan of the score, and it's it's a little disappointing because I love uh, Joe Hisaishi. His music mm-hmm. in in like every Ghibli movie is uh is phenomenal and really sets the, it sets the tone for the movie. And I guess this music sort of does that as well. But uh, when the music is there, and it's not, you know, it's not a fully scored movie. But when it is there, um. I think it's, I think the music is a, is actually a very important part of the movie because it misleads you into thinking something's going to happen. Yeah. It's, it's suspenseful at times during times that, you know, the characters wouldn't deem suspenseful. Yeah. To, to expand, like you mentioned, it's, uh, Joe Hisaishi did the soundtrack who is, uh, he's 
scored a bajillion movies, but is maybe most well known for uh, doing the music for all of Hayao Miyazaki's films. Uh, but I actually like the soundtrack a lot. It is kind of a little out of place with the movie, but I love the kind of weird 80s <laughs> synth that's going on. But uh, I, I don't know if it fits the best thematically. There are a couple scenes, and and I really like how the theme comes back in at the end of the movie. But uh, I, I, it's something I would listen to just going places, even if it doesn't work for the film yeah. that well. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, go oh, uh, related uh, sound design thing right at the end of the movie. Uh, this I feel like it has to have been intentional when uh, Murakawa commits suicide in the car and, and shoots himself in the head. There is just the most like comedic splat sound <laughs> when the blood hits the window. That like I I have to imagine that was an intentional like comedic effect because <laughs> it just sounds so silly like a stock sound effect okay. thing to me. Well, <laughs> I, I'm not sure if that was intentional or not, um, but I'm, uh, I'm with you there. I could, I could definitely, yeah, I could, I could see that. It's, it's a kind of a comical sound. Um, but I mean, like, I feel like a lot of the deaths in this movie sort of aren't super serious. Like when Ken gets shot in the head while playing Frisbee, uh, it's, it's such a, it's sort of a devastating scene for me because that he's a very likable character, but nobody else mm -hmm. sort of seems to care. And the blood, the blood just kind of just sort of trickles down. Oh, it's just a little bit of blood just sort of trickles down on the sand and then he falls. And it's, it's, it's a scene that I, I, that definitely sticks out for me because that's not primarily how you see somebody getting shot in the head in other movies. Uh, not to mention everybody's reaction to it. Most mostly, uh, the you know the biggest reaction we get out of that scene is uh, Ryoji running for his life. Yeah. Uh, but the other two characters, uh, who the assassin doesn't see, are just kind of sitting there, and it made me wonder if, well, are they doing? Are, are they reacting this way because they're uh, desensitized to it, or because uh, they don't want to get shot? <laughs> they're like in shock yeah i think it's both i think um, uh, murakawa is is so used to these kinds of situations that he knows how to handle himself and that the the girl character who i think is credited as uh, miyuki but i don't think actually gets named at any no point no the actually there's a good chunk of the characters in this movie who do not get named and i had to look them up yeah <laughs> Um, but I, she's got her own weird thing going on where like the reason she, she is immediately attracted to Kitano's character because he kills a man, not because he saves her, but because he was so tough and willing to kill this guy. And, and I feel like she's, uh, like she, she clearly knows, I think they both clearly know if they do or say anything that they'll alert the guy to their presence. But at the same time, I think she just doesn't care because she like has a kind of sociopathic relationship with violence on her own. So final thoughts on the movie. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, it's not my favorite movie with Kitano in it, but it's definitely a credit to his work and it 
very much embodies what kind of a filmmaker he is like from top to bottom i think mm -hmm. yeah i'm glad that i finally have seen it um that's one of the things that i'm excited about the show <laughs> is seeing things uh that i've never heard of and also seeing things like this that have been on my list but just through uh through uh life stuff i've never gotten around to seeing yeah, uh, I really love the film. It's one of my favorite Kitano movies. And just because it really showcases his personal idiosyncrasies with filmmaking. And it's not the most polished of his films. I mean, it's the third one that he made. So he's still kind of feeling himself out. But part of why he uh, titled it uh, Sonatina is because he he felt like he had reached that point as a director where he found kind of found his own voice and knew what he wanted to do and reached a, a new level of competence. And I feel, and I feel like he was accurate in that, that appraisal of his skill. Well, that's a, that seems like an excellent uh, note to end on, I think. Um, so the next, uh, great. <laughs> the next movie, the next movie that we're going to be discussing. Oh, by the way, um, in case you have not watched Sonatina yet, uh, they took it off of Netflix as of this recording. Uh, so you can buy it at uh, Amazon.com uh, on DVD. Uh, you can I've seen it in a package with uh, another uh, Kitana movie in the past. I think Fireworks, aka Hanabi. Um, but I'm not positive. So uh, it's it's definitely available to buy and and to rent. So I would. Uh, I'd check it out if you enjoyed listening to this episode of the podcast. And uh, next week, um, or next week, <laughs> next episode, we'll be talking about Shall We Dance? So I'm going to hand it off to you, Scott. Uh, yeah, I haven't actually seen Shall We Dance before. It's something that all my friends have uh, watched before and really love. So it's something that I'm really excited to get into. I'm um, a big fan. I love... Uh... <laughs> Love, uh, Richard Gere and Jennifer Lopez. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, because they remade it. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, my mother-in-law actually saw the. I think has seen both versions of it. She uh, saw the the Western version, then went back and watched mm -hmm. the Japanese. Oh wow! Yeah, and enjoyed both. I actually am a big fan of the Japanese version. I just want to throw that out there. That this movie's great. So I'm looking forward to seeing it again and talking about it with you guys. Nice. Hey, maybe we can get your mother-in-law on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and she might be up for it. Awesome. But uh, yeah, I'm not really familiar with the director or any of the cast, so I'm looking forward to kind of expanding my uh, expanding my knowledge of of performers and directors as well, in addition to just enjoying the movie. Fantastic. All right. Uh, so before we uh, head out, um, it's time for us to plug our stuff because what podcast would be complete without a series of plugs right um you can find me on tumblr twitter instagram and vine at dude exclamation all one word and you can also listen to me on the one piece podcast you can find me at super art fight occasionally and um i also have another podcast with our good friend steve yurko called 20 minutes of bullshit which is uh 20 minutes of bs on itunes and um we just kind of uh shoot the shit about anything we want really it's very very uh very per impersonal so 
that's it for me. And uh, hey, uh, you can follow me uh, on Tumblr, joeyweiser.tumblr.com, or Twitter, joeyweiser, that's W-E-I-S-E-R. Um, and read Merman. Uh, I do a graphic novel series called Merman uh, about a fish boy who washes up on the beach and is found by some human kids that take him in. It's an uh, action-adventure comedy, uh, lots of fish creatures and things like that. Uh, volumes 1 through 4 are available in hardcover and digitally, and Volume 1 just got uh, printed in softcover, and the softcover 2 is coming out later this year. And uh, I am Viria on Tumblr, V-Y-R-I-A, and Vriska Chat on Twitter, V-R-I-S-K-A Chat. Uh, I don't really do much else, uh, but if you want to have somebody curate a bunch of other good stuff for you, follow my Twitter. I try to retweet a lot of the great stuff that my friends make and uh, things that they share. So if you want to keep your ear to the ground, that's a good place. We should also note that we have a Twitter account, at Toho Yaro. So if you'd like to tweet at us, um, give us suggestions for future movies, ask us questions, we'll be sure to address them in an upcoming episode. And um, until next time, uh, this has been Toho Yaro, so please join us for uh, Shall We Dance? Uh-huh.